Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have a man who has 37 years experience in construction and engineering and currently works as a project manager for Crossrail and also has worked on One Hyde Park, the Candy Brothers, famous and one of the most exclusive addresses in London or in the world. I don't know. So he's got a real, real breadth and depth of experience. We focus this episode quite heavily on how to manage a refurb, how to find a builder. And there are some really, really good tips in here. And I think Dave really takes the time to explain it clearly and properly to all of us. So if you're struggling with builders, or you're anxious about, you know, working with a builder, this is going to be a really good episode for you. And if you're not, some really nice reminders here. And I, I picked up a few things as well. Just to let you know, me and James are running a flip weekend course. He has bought a flip in East London, which should generate about £60,000 profit. Uh, My latest flip generated about the same. And his refurb is starting very soon. So we are going to do a weekend event, but there's also going to be four site visits alongside this weekend spread out over time. So you get to see the refurb go from absolute shithole to being beautiful at the end. And also probably joining me and laughing at him when things go wrong um, and commiserating him and dealing with all the challenges, especially because he has to find a new build team now because his normal one aren't free. So if you're interested in the flip weekend course, we're going to talk about everything from finding the flip, selling it, refurbishing it. We're going to have two epic guest speakers, plus the site visits, plus our famous three course lunches. So, yep, send me a DM and uh, yeah, we'll get you booked on. Dave, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hello, Tej. Nice to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem. So we met at a ooh, top secret at the moment uh, location and event, uh, which hopefully people will both um, see us on at some point shortly. And, you know, I think we had a really interesting discussion. I think we all did. But in particular, your experience and the length and I suppose the breadth of your experience in you know construction and in engineering and the built environment was fascinating and you know people who listen to my podcast know I have an interesting relationship and history with uh, with builders and you know again it, it's something we spoke about so today's podcast is going to be you know getting to know you and your story but then also really taking that and then you know showing people you know how to manage a refurb how to find builders how to get the the kind of brilliant basics correct um and i suppose somewhat of a step by step kind of guide to refurbishments at the level that we kind of do it at so before we get to that stuff tell us uh, a little bit about yourself normally i say what were you doing before property but i think you've always kind of been in property so yeah take us on a brief journey of your life okay Ted. um i'll try to keep it as brief as <laughs> um so my name's dave ford um my dad had a building company so when i was young when i was at school and school holidays and uh, weekends etc i used to go to work with him so started learning about construction and he used to do flips so that was my very first introduction to making money through property taking a building that's in not very good state doing something to it when it's finished you make profit so when I was 16, I did an apprenticeship as an electrician. I worked with my dad for many years. 
uh, him and my mum are from Ireland, so they moved back in 1991. When they left, they left me and my brother some money. My brother's a quantity surveyor, and my dad said, carry on doing the flips, whatever you make, half of it, send back to us, and you two keep the other half. So that was sort of how I uh, got into flipping property. Now, at the time, I didn't know anything about strategies. I just had one mortgage broker. We were getting residential mortgages, which was completely wrong. You know, refurbing them. We had one accountant, don't know if he was any good, anything he said, we, we just did. So it wasn't very organised, but we always made money. As I went on through my career, I worked my way up. I, I became an electrician, then a tester, then I was a supervisor, then I was a site manager, then I was a construction manager, then I was an assistant project manager, then I was a quality assurance engineer, then I was a project manager. Now, this all took the best part of 30 years in between. I lived abroad for a long time. I lived in Israel for seven years. I spent a couple of years in Iraq and Lebanon, a few years in America. I was working across all different projects. I, I, I was uh, doing new build houses, flats. I was working on oil refineries. I've worked on data centers, airports. I've worked on a lot of prestige projects in London that people would have heard of, such as the Shard, the Olympics, the Millennium Dome, the Royal Opera House. I worked at One Hyde Park for the Candy Brothers as a project engineer. Down there, in the, the meantime, a constant theme throughout my life was always doing flips. I've worked for small property developers. I've worked for massive property developers. I've done high-end residential flats in Mayfair and Belgravia. I've done school refurbs near build hospitals. I've done a lot of work on London Underground and Network Rail. Uh, what else have I done? I've done a lot, mate, that, <laughs> that I, can't, I can't remember, you know. Um, but when I sort of, I would say, got into property developing properly, was about seven years ago. I met my girlfriend, who's very experienced, very, very successful property developer. And she said to me, well, you know, what are you doing working all these hours? And I was making a lot of money as a project manager. I'm a project manager on Crossrail at Bond Street at the moment. Uh, I was making a lot of money. She said, but, but that is nothing. If you went and worked for yourself or you worked with other people, you'd make 10 times what you're making. And you do a lot less for it. And so that was really what, what kick-started me into taking it seriously. Interesting. I mean, yeah, what a, yeah, what a tour around the world and within, you know, kind of different kind of disciplines in the built environment. And yeah, I know we were talking about some of the equipment used in Crossrail and these crazy big drills and the cost of them. And like, it's fascinating, you know, it really is, I think, at least to kind of look in from the outside. And so, what do you think has been like the biggest or biggest changes in, you know, construction from when you first started to now? Well, from a professional point of view, the construction industry, the biggest change without a doubt is the implementation of safety. Now, when I started, it was like the Wild West. There was no safety at all. Um, you could just rock up in a pair of trainers and a, and a pair of shorts. And you, you could turn up at seven o'clock in the morning drinking a can of beer if you wanted. No one would, would care. 
Um, thankfully, it's not like that now at all. You know, sites are very safe and, and a bad time too. But from when you say a property, from a property point of view, well, now you've got far more people involved in it than when I was the, started. When I started, you just had the professional property developers and you had people such as myself with a construction background who were doing it just because they, they knew how to do it. Now, as you know yourself, Ted, there's numerous training courses, groups, etc., and you've got a vast array of people doing it of all ages, uh, different levels of experience. Um, I would say they're the biggest changes I've seen. And, yeah, I mean, the safety thing is is interesting, I think, because, yeah, you definitely see a lot more of that and health and safety being a priority, especially on developments, especially on, let's say, the, the bigger, serious stuff where, like, you know, HSC and stuff are, are maybe paying a bit more attention. And, yeah, with the property thing, so many more people doing it and also so many different strategies and, and ways of doing it, or at least now they've got names, you know, cool names and whatnot. Um, so for you, obviously, you've had such a varied career and it was always, you know, in a sense, kind of working for someone else. You know, was there a moment where you thought, mm, I'm enjoying this, but actually I want to do something for myself? Uh, not really. I mean, I always was doing little flips for myself, either with friends from the industry or my brother, but I never actually saw it as being a business. I just saw it as something that I knew how to do and it would be silly not to do it because it was just easy money and no, it never occurred to me to set up for myself in business at all. Even when, I mean, I'm, I moved to Ireland for a few years when my parents moved back. And that was during the Celtic Tiger. Absolute building boom. Like I've, I've never seen anywhere else before. And I was carrying out pretty large developments with my brother and another partner. We, we were building housing estates of 20, 30 houses. And even that, I didn't see myself as being in business, I just saw it as a good opportunity that I had the contacts and I knew what to do. But what changed for me, what has um, pushed me into working for myself now is when I met my girlfriend. She is a very experienced, successful property developer and I met her six years ago. And we were out one night in a restaurant and, and I was talking to her and I was telling her about how much I was earning and you know, I was on very, very good money. But And she just said to me, but what you don't realise is if the people you're working for can afford to give you that, how much are they having? Because all you're getting is the crumbs off of their table. And that was a sort of light bulb moment for me. And I went home and I thought about it and I thought, gosh, she's right. So that is, that is the big change for me. Mm, and I think that makes sense. And I think... <laughs> Anyone who kind of does what we do and, and sets up their own business has some kind of moment like that or someone telling them something or some realization that actually, yeah, I am earning, you know, X amount and I'm happy with it or I'm not happy with it. But yeah, like that's, you know, 4% of the pie, you know, where's the other 96% of it when you've probably done, you know, a lot of the work on it. So, you know, obviously having these thoughts, you know, what then shifted in your life, in your career after having this well the very the biggest change after that was i started going to networking events and uh this is probably the first time that i started hearing about all these different strategies 
and I saw how many different sorts of people were getting into it. Because what you've got to understand, Tej, is I've, you know, I've worked in this industry all my life and I always wanted to get on. So throughout my whole career, I've studied, I've gone to night school, I've done different courses, qualifications to get to the next level. But when when I go to networking events and people say to me, you're an expert, from my background, I'm used to sitting in rooms and meetings with people who really are experts, you know. So I, I never considered that I really knew that much. Obviously, I know a lot, but I was always with people who knew far more than me. And so my um, my big thing was was who would want to JV with me? Who who would want to invest money with me? And then I didn't realise, you know, I'm in, I'm in a room with people who've never done it before. So, so that that was a, a big thing for me. But also, I had to make a decision of when I decided, okay, this is the route I'm going to go. But what is my USP? What marks me out as any different, being any different to any other bloke who, who just knows how to do building? So I decided the way I was going to go forward was I wasn't just going to focus on the money. I was going to focus on quality. So every single thing I do now, it has to be done to the highest quality. That doesn't mean the highest expense, but within the budget, we do it to the very best. And they're the only sort of people I want to work with as well. People who, who want to, if, if I'm um, refurbing a flat and I'm putting it on the market for 250 grand. Obviously, I'm getting a load of profit in that, but I want the person buying it to have 250 grand's worth of flat. I don't want it to look like 250 grand's worth. I want them to have their money and like anything that I'm going to rent out, I want my tenants to come on. I want them to sit down, look around, and think this is nice. I, I like this. So that was uh, the sort of path I chose to go. Mm, there's some really good points there and i think you know the usp and i suppose your personal usp being the fact you've got 37 years experience it's it's easy to forget because you walk into a room of like property investors and just because your title or your full time or your official business is not property investment you kind of forget that oh i've got this whole life behind me that i've worked and of course your personal experience is incredibly relevant and it's you know and we'll get to this you know you have experience in the hardest part i think of property which is the refurbishment and dealing with builders so for people listening you know don't forget um you know look at what you've done how you've done it where you've done it and it will benefit someone in some shape or form so you know these networking events for people out there who are new who are getting started who maybe are kind of like oh i don't really know what strategy i don't really know you know, I don't have anyone to look up to or see who's doing this. Would you recommend networking events to them? Definitely, because it, as you say, people who want to have a go at it, but they don't know where to start. You're going to be in a room with people who are at various stages of experience. Uh, you're going to you're going to be able to when you go to the same sort of ones, you see the same sort of people a couple of times, you you sort of know who sounds good for you. It might not be the person who's making millions. It might be someone who says, I'll just do one development a year, that's good enough for me. You know, so it's horses for courses. I do think uh, networking, it's, it's a really good thing, yeah. And, of course, when we had the lockdowns, I find I, I'm a people person said you know I, I know for a fact i could go to any networking event in the country 
And if I can get you on your own for 10 minutes in a corner, I can sell myself. Like you will know through talking to me that I, I'm the real deal. I am what I say I am. And I found that the online things, uh, a lot of that was lost. So I'm glad that we're back in face-to-face networking now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember I saw you a few weeks ago at, at um, Knightsbridge and you were, you were doing your thing. So, um, yeah, I think networking is super powerful and, you know, the online stuff, you know, when you know what you're doing, it is really powerful, but and I suppose we're in a changing world where it becomes even more powerful, but face to face is, it's a different thing. You know, you look someone yeah. in the eyes and you shake their hands and it's kind of a, a different thing. So, you know, going back to your story there, you, you know, Obviously, you went to these events, you learned a lot, learn about all these different things and, and ways of doing things. After this, I suppose, period of research or learning, what did you then decide to do? Like, what was your kind of path and maybe your strategy or your approach in property from then on? Okay, so I'd previously had quite a large buy-to-let portfolio when I lived in Ireland. And I decided that I know you hear that um, wealth is built by controlling assets and you should acquire assets and let other people pay for them and put money in your pocket. But I just didn't want the hassle of dealing with tenants. Even I know you can outsource everything. You can do it for a managing agent. You don't even never have to go there. But I just didn't want that. I just decided that my area of skill was that I was going to do flips, right? So I knew that there would be a lot of flips people would look at and they would say no because there wasn't enough profit in it. I knew with my experience, my background, my connections, I knew I could squeeze sufficient profit out of most deals without compromising on the quality. So that's how I decided to go. And then also my girlfriend, she moves in some very well-connected circles of people uh high net worth individuals and they just want someone who's going to do everything for them and they want their investment protected and i've got extensive experience in very contentious large projects that have gone wrong and there's big money to be made or lost well someone's going to lose the money and so I, i was able to use my experience to protect their investment and that has proved quite lucrative for me. Mm, I see. Okay. And of course, this is using, you know, your property development experience to ensure that this runs smoothly, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Tej, when, look, you get into this, you don't have any experience. It all looks good. You talk to someone who's never had any experience, doesn't know anything about builders, and they made 50 grand on their first project and it all sounds great but what you've got to understand the building industry has been around for a long long time it's been around a lot longer than facebook and networking events and when you go into these developments you are committing serious amounts of money you are committing several hundred thousand pounds and you are going up against people who've been doing it their whole life they are the professionals you are the amateur you are the outsider you they're playing the game and you don't even know the rules, right? And when it goes wrong, it can go very, very wrong, very, very quickly. And you need someone in your corner who's going to protect you and protect your investment. Mm. And, you know, I think often when people are starting out, we are the people in the corner. You know, we are the ones protecting our own investment because, you know, 
a little buy to let. Can it afford a project manager or, you know, a QS? Maybe. Can we find a good one at that level? Uh, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but, you know, I, all I know is struggle at trying to find, you know, a decent PM with some actual experience at that kind of level. Obviously, new builds are different. So then if we kind of move on to, you know, refurbishments, which is where your experience is and where, like I said earlier, I think a lot of property investors struggle. Um, let's, let's maybe take the people on a journey from like finding a builder, vetting them, working with them, firing them if you need to, snagging, things like that. So for you, when should someone start to look for tradespeople or a builder when they got the keys you know a few months before when's the best time to look now the minute you decide you're going to get a project that's when you need to start looking for a builder uh i've got a, a project right this minute now been to see the client they've bought this property they're buying it cash they're going to complete next week they only contacted me last week so great i went out to look at it I took my builder with with me. He's not cheap, but he's good. They don't like the price. They say he's too expensive. So what is their alternative? What do they do? Do they just look in the newsagent's windows for tradesmen who've put their cards in there? There's no preparation there. There's nothing. They're not treating it like a professional business endeavour. So this is what I would say. Let, let's say... Um, a person, you know, typically a husband and wife who decide that they want to get into property. Maybe they've remortgaged the house. Maybe they've released some of their pension. I don't know, whatever, wherever they've got the money from. And they've decided that they either want to buy this flat and put a loft conversion on it, or they, they want to buy a house, put an extension. So they've got the concept there. They've got an idea where they're going to buy it uh, they've made a few offers one looks likely to be accepted etc by then you should have been at least starting to look for builders in your area then once you get the keys now i'm assuming here that you haven't got bridging finance because once you've got bridging you're under pressure from day one that's costing you so i'm assuming that you've got a little bit of time you don't have to dive into it on day one then you've got to get your idea of what you want and you've got to be very very clear on what you want so i meet a lot of people and they're not sure what they want they'll say oh i'm thinking of you know maybe changing that kitchen door to french windows but i don't know maybe i'll leave it maybe i'll block it up make a window maybe i'll have the door open they don't know what they want so it's very hard once you have actually found a builder who you feel comfortable with. It's very hard for him to give you an accurate price, what that's going to be. So you've found your builders. Now, the way there's numerous ways you can do that, assuming you don't know anyone, you don't have any family or friends who can recommend anyone. If they can, then obviously recommendations are good. If they can't, and this is what I do, and don't forget, I've got 37 years experience. I've got extensive connections. However, I'm still constantly always looking for new builders and tradesmen, even when I haven't got an imminent project on the go. So when I'm out walking my dog, if I see a little bit of work going on, I see a bit of scaffold on the front of a house, I see some vans out, I see a plasterer's van, I take a picture of the phone number. Maybe I'll meet one of them coming out to throw something in the skip. 
I just walk up to them. They're like, mate, all right, how you doing? You know, uh, see your band now. I might have a bit of work going on. I'm just sort of wondering. I, I, I live in Essex. Let's say I had a job in London. I say, um, I'm just wondering, do you work local or do you ever go to London? If They might say, yeah, I, I'm, it, it doesn't bother me. And you just have a little chat, just feel them out. And you start building up this database of numbers of electricians, plumbers, general builders, etc. If you don't want to do that, what I do, again, once I've got a project, I might not have builders lined up, I look in the immediate area. If there's work going on in the next street, then definitely I will take a note of their number. Um, and maybe if I see the work's just finishing up, I'll take a note of their number and I'll go back a week later. I'll knock on the door of the homeowner and say, I'll see you had a bit of work going on. What were they like, them blokes? Were they any good? Are you happy with it? it were they reliable? If it, and if you don't want to do that, a good place to start would be the website of the Federation of Master Builders. Now, just because someone is a member of the Federation of Master Builders doesn't guarantee they're going to be good and doesn't guarantee they're going to turn up on time. But I'll tell you what, it is a very, very good starting place. So now at least you've got a couple of builders you can talk to. You decide what you want. You're quite clear in your own mind what you want. You need to get that all written down on paper in as much detail as you can. Don't try to use technical terms that you don't understand. Don't think you'll look silly by not knowing the correct name. You'll look a lot sillier by using the wrong terminology. And if it means, if, if you don't know how to use any app like Room Sketch or something, that's fine. Hand drawn sketches, whatever. If it's just links to websites, I like that bathroom. I want the bathroom exactly like that. Or I want these color tiles or cut a page out of a magazine and scan it. As much information as you can give to that builder. Then you're going to contact them. Let's say you've chosen three. Three who sound all right and you think you can work with them. You're going to phone them up and you're going to say, hello, I spoke to you a little while ago about this job, wherever it is. Um, it's going ahead now. I'm wondering if you'd like to tender for it. Assuming they'll say, yeah, you're going to email them with your scope of works, your schedule of works, all the documentation you've got. That's going to give them an idea in their head before they come back to you, do I want this, yes or no? Is it even worth going to look at it? Can I make any money out of it? Hopefully they're going to reply to you saying, yeah, we'll have a look at it. Then you want to get them around to actually walk around the job. You don't want to be taking prices over the phone. You don't want someone who says, well, it's probably going to be about 27 grand or 45 grand. That's no good. You want him there walking around with you so you can point out exactly what you want. And that gives you a good idea. Let's say you, you said to one of the builders, right, 10 o'clock on Tuesday, meet me at the house. They don't turn up to half 10. That's a bad sign. You're feeling them out. You're, you're going into a financial commitment with this person that once you start really you can't stop it so you've got to make sure in your own mind you're happy with them so their professionalism is going to play a big part of your decision whether to work with them or not but here's another thing as much as you're feeling the builder out he's feeling you out because i used to work for myself a lot i've dealt with numerous homeowners and you go around there and you're walking around and they're going, mm, well, I want this. Well, I don't know. Well, I think I want this. And 
in my head, all I'm thinking is this is going to be hard work. And one thing that used to really, really bug me, when I'd give someone a price and I'd go, oh, that's a bit much. Can you do it any cheaper? And I'd think to myself, we're not in the marketplace here. You're not buying a pound of apples. It's not, I'll go high, you go low, I'll come down a bit, you go up a bit, we meet in the middle. It's, it's not like that. I'm providing a service. When you say that's a bit much, what are you basing that on? Do you know? Do you know game rates in the construction industry? If you don't, how can you say that's so much? And what you've got to understand with builders, they've all got different business models. Now, if you're dealing with the bloke who's just got a van, who does his accounts himself, he's got no overheads, he might be cheaper than the bloke who rents an office, he's got six vans on the road, he employs a part-time bookkeeper, he's got an accountant, he might have a contracts manager. His overheads are, are a lot more. So his prices may be a lot more. That doesn't mean he's ripping you off. And it doesn't mean he's expensive. He's got business model. He's going to turn over X amount. His outgoings are X amount, and he wants to make X amount of profit. You've got to understand that there's no people talk about builders uh, being expensive and ripping you off and that. You know, there's no secret meetings where builders all get together and say, ah, oh, lads, what we're going to do? So we say, you know, seven out of 10 jobs, we won't bother replying to them. And um, uh, yeah, let's rip everyone off. Let's, let's put £100 a day on our rates because there's a lot of work on it at the moment. It's not like that. You know, you've got to understand they are the professionals. They're providing you a service. If you don't want it, if you can't afford to pay what they want, then that's fine. You can't do business. They move on, you move on to the next person that would be my best bit of advice for dealing with builders and please what no matter what the job is if it's a thousand pound if it's 250 grand get a contract if you don't have a contract in place really all you're doing is you're giving a stranger a whole load of your money and you're just hoping against hope that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do and if it goes wrong you've got no recourse to getting your money back it's an absolute nightmare people if you went and got a phone today from vodafone they said the plan is it's 30 pound a month you get a thousand minutes you know if you didn't get your thousand minutes you'd be back down there complaining over 30 quid but yet people are willing to take on these jobs and give builders 100 grand with just a scribbled little note. I, I really don't understand it. You know, contracts are out there. Training is available. The JCT do online training. If you're going to spend 200 grand on a property and spend 50 grand on refurbing it, you can phone up a construction consultant like myself or an architect or quantity surveyor and say, can I book an hour of your time at your professional fees I'd like to learn about contracts and you advise me the correct one I need for this job. I think that's the best investment anyone can do. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good advice there. And that particularly about the contract, yeah. Even if it's like a twenty grand refurb, like a contract, it just protects you and it, it there's no harm or negative that can come from a contract. And if the builder says, Oh, I'm not signing that, then well, good. <laughs> it did your job for you they got rid of themselves um yeah. you know if if we go back to the start of that kind of um the advice there you know when it comes to actually finding them what do you think about review sites like checker trade and all these things like this would you recommend people use them as well 
Uh, personally, no, because I know individual tradesmen who will just ask all their mates to create a bogus account and go on there and give them a five-star reject. You know? And that's not saying anything detrimental to the genuine good tradesmen and builders who are on there, which I'm sure they are. But me personally, I would give it no weight at all. It's interesting because it, you know, for for property investors and, and for people listening, it's kind of like these sites are supposed to be and, and they claim, although I've, I've heard similar things to what you've said and I've heard certain platforms encouraging, you know, what you've just said as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they're supposed to make our life easier and, you know, do what they're supposed to do, you know? Um, mm. But it, it kind of makes it even harder because I suppose with your way, you know, you've kind of, let's say you found them on the site, you've asked, you know, people for referrals, etc. But even with referrals, you know, I've had referrals and the, the, the tradesman was an idiot and then he, I got rid of him. And, and he, so, you know, with you, right, like, I suppose my question is, what's your best way of telling if someone's going to do a good job, maybe, and is doing a good job on something you've hired them for? Because, there is no sort of golden way of doing it, but do you have a particular way of assessing, you know, their work, this in person or how you do it? Yeah. All right. Now, Ted, obviously I'm aware that I've been doing it my whole life, so it's easier for me than someone who hasn't. Um, if you don't really have any experience, it's very hard to say to a tradesman, I don't like that, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> because you just turn around and go, who are you? You know, what do you know? Um, this goes back to engaging the builder and the contract. Now, w- once I've chosen my builder, I'll stand there on the, the project with him before it starts, and I'll just say, all right, mate, okay, that's that's great, good, we'll start next week or whatever. I say, listen, I've got to tell you now, though, right? I'm under the cost on this. I cannot afford any reworks, right? I mean it. Everything's got to be done spot on first time. Now, they're never, ever, ever, ever going to say, well, no, I can't do that. I might get it wrong a few times. They're not going to say that, right? But I've made it as clear as day that I'm not having it. Now, and then that will go back to my contract. And there will be something in there that will say all defective workmanship will be rectified at the contractor's expense. So when you start getting on to bigger jobs, let's say you were building 100 new build flats or 50 new build houses, you would have a thing called an ITP. That's an inspection and test plan. And that will outline every single task, construction task, and it will have the stages of that task. For example, let's say let's say electrics, as, as I used to be in electrician, right? So they'll do the first fix. Then when they come to do the dead testing, in your ITP, it will say that I have to be present. I have to be there and witness it. Without me there, without me countersigning the quality assurance documents, that electrician is not allowed to start on the next piece of work. So I will pick up any defects before I sign it off. He will rectify it at his own expense before I give him permission to proceed. Obviously, on a smaller refurb, when you don't have the experience, that's a bit hard. But I would say to people, if there's anything that looks blatantly wrong to you, oh, look, I mean, you know, you can use some easy examples. If the, um, the French doors are meant to be on the left hand side of the wall and you see him cutting a big hole in the right hand, then is the time to say, excuse me, what's going on? You know, that's quite obvious. But if 
when you're getting onto the more finer detail, let's say, for example, he's installed all the skirting and now he's starting to paint it. And you can quite clearly see that it doesn't butt up properly and the little holes haven't been filled and it hasn't been sanded down properly. Then you, you've got to speak up for yourself. Look, ultimately, this is your dream. This is a you individually or you and your friends or you and your family or you and your JB partner. This is your dream. This is your goal. This is your plan. It's not the builders. It's just another job to the builder, right? So you see something that's not right. You've got to pull him up there and then and give him a chance to explain himself. If he doesn't rectify it as is agreed and wants to carry on doing work, then you've got to put your foot down. You, you've got to say to him, no, sorry, I'm not happy with this. Uh, I don't want you to continue until you've rectified that. Now you might find yourself in an argument with him. That's unfortunate, but that's just the way it goes. You're paying this man to do something. He's not doing what you want. This is your project. You are in charge. He will do what you tell him. If he's not willing to do that, you have to let him go. Now, you, what? One thing you don't want to do, you don't want to get in big screaming matches and all that. You don't, that will never, never get you anywhere. And even if you get your own way this time, all it'll do, it will create tension and he'll be looking to get you back. So you speak to him verbally, you give him a chance to put it right. You go have another look a few days later, still not put right. You ask him why. Now you've got to start sending him emails. And here's the thing I want to say about emails. In any communication you ever have with a builder or a tradesman, you want to keep it business-like. So what I mean by that is, Ted, so you were my builder yeah, and we were exchanging messages on WhatsApp. I would never, ever, ever send you a message with a little smiley emoji and a, a, a thumbs-up emoji going, oh, cheers, Ted, you're blind. Oh, well done, mate. Because if that ever goes to court and I'm saying, no, I had serious doubts about his competence. They say, well, what's this message then? Cheers, Ted, you're blinder. Big smile, thumbs up emojis, right? You, um, I, I, I understand when people are just starting, you want to have good relationships with this builder because you want him to carry you. You want his experience to fill the gaps in yours. So you don't want to be confrontational, adversarial, and I'm not suggesting that. But I'm saying all communications must always be sent with a view that one day these might be produced in court. And how would a third party look at it? So anyway, you've had this uh, disagreement with your builder. This is the second time now you've been out. He ain't sorted it out and it, it doesn't show much intention of. You go back, you write him an email. Dear Tedge, I must bring it to your attention, my concerns about the state of the skirting board in the upstairs bedroom. We've spoken about this. I've asked you twice to rectify it. I, I need this rectified before any work continues. Right Now, you've put that in black and white. See what he comes back with. He probably won't answer, but it doesn't matter. Now you can see the relationship is deteriorating. It's up to you now to make a decision. Do I call it a halt now? Do I pay him up for what he's had and just say, thanks, mate, but no thanks? And that is a difficult decision to make, especially if you don't have an alternative builder lined up and especially if you're getting investor finance. But I would urge everyone, regardless of having no experience, from day one to treat this as a business venture. 
Uh, if you're doing it for commercial gain, it's not your own house. You're doing it as a business. And uh, you've heard the saying, a bad workman blames his tools. As the project manager or the, the developer, these tradesmen, builders, they are your tools. You have to manage them to the best of your ability. If you've spotted things you're not happy with, but you've allowed it to continue, you can't blame the builder. You've got to say that was your fault. Now, And again, let's talk about some realities here. The construction industry, it can be quite uh, aggressive. You know, the behaviour and the language of people is probably what a lot of, of people have not been exposed to before. And it's not very nice standing on a job where the builder's there with his six men and you're telling him that you're not paying him because his work is no good. Because all these blokes here, they don't hear the bit about his work being no good. They just hear the bit about you're not paying him. Therefore, he can't pay them. So a lot of people might think, I'm not up for this. I can't handle this. And you let it go on. But what can I say? It's a business. If you don't want to take the rough or the smooth in this, then you might need to reconsider what you're doing in it. Because ultimately, every single thing that man does wrong or doesn't do to your satisfaction is eating your bottom line. He's taking your profit away. I mean, the idea is he's meant to be helping you, <laughs> not causing problems, you know? Hmm. If only, if only. Um, yeah, and, and definitely the rough with the smooth. It gets, it gets pretty rough in construction in, in multiple different ways. And so... You know, before you were kind of saying, oh, so you've got the experience so you can spot these things. And, you know, the example with the, the nails not being filled in on skirting, would you recommend, because there's so much out there on like YouTube and there's books and there's, you know, would you recommend, you know, people before they start a refurb is to kind of actually go on like trades forums, go on YouTube, like learn every single step of how a refurb is done um, so that when it does come to sight, you know, you don't pretend to know it, but at least, you know, like, those don't look like drywall drywall screws or like, hmm, the plasterboard's the wrong way around. Like, do you think they should go and learn as much as they can about construction before starting a refurb? 100%, mate, 100%. Um, oh, don't, I could go on about this all day. All these these training courses and that, um, I've never been on any. I've, I've done one commercial to residential one. But what I see online and, and hear, et cetera. And there's all this talk about creative finance strategy, none money down, um, infinite return, you know, ROI, multiple streams of income, blah, 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 blah. And then in the middle of it, there's always this just offhanded throwaway comment, uh, find a builder, you know, just to, like as an afterthought, like, uh, yeah, just find a, find, find a builder and, um, get your designs so and find an architect. It's just, boom, but I've never, I've never spoke to an architect in my whole life. Where do I find one? You know, so that's the, the massive, massive part of the equation. So yeah, definitely I would recommend everyone. Um, you're not going to become an expert. Of course you're not in, in two months, but without a doubt, join some, some Facebook groups that deal solely with construction. Look on YouTube, like you said. Just try to at least understand the very, very basics. What is a refurb? What do we do first? First of all, we go in, we do the rip out, we get rid of everything we're not going to keep. 
right? Then we go in, we do the first fix, we get, we chase the walls out, we, we pull the ceilings down to rewire them, we get the floorboards up, we do the plumbing, electrics at the same time, you know, then we do everything goes back down, we do the plaster, blah, blah, blah. At, at least get an idea of that in your head. And like you say, try to at least understand some of the terminology because you're entering into this deal with with someone who's been talking that language since the age of 16 when they started going to college and if if you're going to have a fallout with them they they're going to throw this back at you and what do you say if you don't know so but if i could be even said before that i would urge strongly urge everyone to learn about the cdm regulations because you are making a choice to go into an industry that kills more than a hundred people every year. Um, you cannot rely on builders to know this, you, you, and you cannot rely on the builder to work safely. But you just can't. It's just human nature. It's complacency. It's peer pressure. It's rushing to get things done. Ultimately, God forbid there is a serious accident or incident on your job, it will come down to you. It will always fall back to you. And the health and safety, once they get their teeth into you, they just will not let go. And if you stand up in court and they say, okay, Mr. Mr. Ted Singh, you know, you were the one who called this development on, you engaged this builder and this person got killed. What happened? And you say, well, I'm very sorry. I haven't really been doing it for that long. I didn't know. They're, they're not going to care. They're not going to cut you any slack at all. Because even if you appoint a builder to take the CDM liability, you're still meant throughout the course of that project to check that they are actually discharging those duties properly. Now, if you don't know what unsafe working is, and if you don't know what safe working is, how can you spot that he's not taking care of this so this is a vital thing and believe me you only need to get caught once and it'll just destroy you it'll it'll collapse your property business uh you can end up in prison as well so cdm regulations absolutely vital you don't need to become an expert there's multiple free downloads on the health and safety website that that will tell you what you need to look at learn about that learn at least the tiniest basics of construction learn a bit of terminology because i promise you the more you present yourself as a competent client the better the builder will perform right? and and that is a god's honest truth as long as you look right you know at least a bit and i wouldn't say builders try it on with people i would say it's human nature that people try it on with people um uh, unfortunately, there are some builders who, who try it on with people, but if you sound like you know what you're talking about, they'll be less inclined to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you said about the training courses is a hundred percent true. I remember, you know, I won a ticket to one ages ago and yeah, the refurb element was kind of like, get a builder, tell them what color you want on the walls. <laughs> uh, and then anyways, <laughs> when you're finished, get a tenant in and, uh, yeah, we'll, t- and, and so, I think what I make a point of, and I know you and me really, really spoke about this um, when we first met, 
is that when I train people, I'm like literally refurb is like 80% of everything we discuss to the level of me saying, right, in the bathroom, you should use Weddy boards or Elements boards or Hardy backer yeah. boards instead of the blue ones. And you definitely shouldn't use normal plasterboard. Like, and then when you tank it, you need the waterproof tape and like the details like that. Um, I've learned from, well, YouTube, you know, doing it the wrong way, speaking to like a, a builder kind of like yourself who's super experienced, who is a bit of a geek, I suppose. And like learning these things. And I suppose the more you learn, the more you see like you do when someone is trying to pull the wool over your eyes or yeah. when they just don't understand it. And they're like, Oh, you don't need to do that. You don't need to tank a wet room. No, it's fine. Grout is waterproof. You're like, mm, no, it's not really how it works. Um, and I think, you know, for people listening in, a lot of people don't want to do this because it's not their passion, but then. I also suppose that making money, if that's your passion or, you know, yeah. having a portfolio is your passion, then you need to understand this because, you know, unfortunately, people will take you for a ride, whether it's human nature, whether it's builder's nature, it will still happen. And you need to be competent and protected to make sure. Um, Dave, do you think that the construction industry, because I think it's backwards in a lot of respects, um, I'm talking about sort of my level. So I'm not talking about high-end residential. I'm not talking about, you know, commercial. I'm talking about kind of property investors. You know, I feel like construction at our level has many issues. Do you think it's getting better or what do you think? Right. Sage, what you need to understand when, right, for me, when I employ a builder or a tradesman, uh, I want to know what motivates him. People think I've got this bit of work. I've got a few numbers there. I'm going to phone them up. Whoever takes it, they're here for the money. They're going to do me a good job. And it's not like that. It's so many people you will find down at this level are there for different reasons. Now, there are a fair few tradesmen who do residential because they're not good enough to work on the big jobs and that's just a fact and they've tried the big jobs and they work for people like me who are bang on their case if they are one minute late and i mean that if we start at half seven that means you're here signed in had your cup of tea chains and in your gear and outside my office at half seven not 7 35 it doesn't mean you walk through the door at 7 30 and get changed you start at half seven quality you know, you're going to fill in all this paperwork for the work you've done and you're going to present it to me. Then I'm going to check it. And if it's no good, you're doing it. They don't want all that, you know, health and safety. They don't want to be bored with what they say is this health and safety rubbish. They want an easy life. So they want to rock up on these residential jobs where they don't have experienced professionals telling them what to do. They either have homeowners or they have inexperienced property developers. So you get a lot of people like that. Um, you get, if I, if I'm talking to a tradesman on site, let's say a plumber, let's say he's in his early twenties and he tells me that he's got three kids, his missus is pregnant with a fourth, he's got a great big mortgage. I know that bloke needs money, right? I know that if I ask him to work till seven or nine o'clock at night, he's going to do it. When I tell him I'm under the cosh, can he come in at the weekend? Without a doubt, he's going to say, yeah. When I talk to another bloke who's perhaps 60, 
he tells me his mortgage is paid off and his passion in life is taking his grandkids down the park at the weekend and picking them up after school. I know that bloke, he's not going to bail me out when I need it. I just know that as much money as I offer him, he's just not interested, you know. Or if I see another young lad and he's got a sign written van out the front, he's got, he's invested in a load of power tools, all the best stuff in it. I can see he's going somewhere in life. He understands that success in this is about being reliable, doing good work. That's why he's invested in the tools and all that. He's the sort of person I want working for me. He might charge higher than others, but that's okay because I'm going to get quality out of him. Other people, I look at them and I just know that they're not very good, and but they're working at the top of their capability. And it's just pointless me expecting more out of them because I'm not going to get it. So it's all about understanding who's actually working for you. Like going back to what I originally said, people just think, oh, well, I've got this builder here. He's, he's motivated to come here and make money. It's not like that. People, if you get, um, let's say you've got a pipe fitter or um, a, a plumber working in your refurb who's spent most of his life working on the oil rigs. Now, you're going to get a fantastic standard of work out of that bloke, but he's not going to be quick, that's for sure. Because his whole working life, he's not been required to be quick. He's been required to work methodically and safely. You get another bloke, uh, maybe a spark, who you're trying to do some high-end flats. If all he's ever done in his life is price work on new builds, you you might be paying him another £100 a day. He will not produce work to the level of detail that you require because his background, he, he's just never had to do it. He's always worked in an environment where it's just get it in, get it in. We don't care. Get it in. Close the ceilings, the walls, floorboards up, move on to the next one. So you've got to understand who you've got working for you. And hopefully, once you understand that, you'll be able to adjust your own expectations which will save you a bit of headache because you won't just be standing there thinking, what's wrong with this bloke? Why won't he do it? Well, he either can't or he just doesn't want to. He's just not motivated to do it. Mm. Those are really good points, actually. I think, I suppose, yeah, maybe with, with builders and tradespeople, we forget because in other sort of parts of our business or in other types of businesses, we're always looking for, yeah, what is this person's motivation? What will motivate them? Like with your employees, for example, what will motivate them to keep coming here, keep working for me? But yeah, I think we forget that with builders and I suppose we forget to look at their background, like you said, which, you know, I suppose you can tell a lot from, especially if, you know, like you, you've worked with tens, hundreds of these guys who have similar stories. You're like, okay, you kind of, you know, an assumption of some type, but you fit into this bucket and I kind of know what to expect from you. So yeah, that's that's a really good point that a lot of people forget. Now, um, obviously you're a project manager. So yep. project management is something that we've obviously discussed throughout this. But if you had to give three kind of quick fire tips, like the three best tips for project management of a refurb to the people listening, what would you say? Okay, so you've got three... Um stages in any construction project the pre-construction the construction and the post-construction you will make or break any projects in the pre-construction phase i absolutely guarantee you that that's where you do all your planning and that so 
spend the bulk of your time now. Plan, 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 and plan again. Ask someone to sense check it. Once you've done that, then plan again. Always have a, a plan to mitigate something that goes wrong so that when you're actually out there and it starts, you'll be able to deal with things in a proactive manner rather than a reactive manner. If you don't get a pre-construction phase right, you will constantly be on the back foot. Um, I don't know how many quick fly tips that was. Um, yeah, contracts, absolutely golden. Uh, you know, that is the best thing that is going to protect your money, your investment. But it's going to protect the builder as well. It's going to give, it's going to hold him accountable. It's going to give you a way to resolve disputes. Uh, so planning, contracts, and the third one, when you get out there, when the job's starting, if there's something you don't like, Deal with it immediately. Don't look accidents and problems don't just happen. It, there's always a reason. And it's usually that someone didn't deal with something quick enough or, or chose not to deal with it because they thought it was too hard. So be on problems, deal with them immediately. Don't let them fester. Keep that project moving. Whatever happens, that project has to keep moving. I love it. And, you know, you've worked uh, on one Hyde Park for the Candy Brothers, which is, you know, one of the most exclusive yeah. in London. You've also worked in the Shard. What do you find easier, doing this like super prime, super high end residential or doing, you know, kind of flips and, and sort of smaller local stuff? Um, me personally, I find flips because I can be in 100% control of mm. these things. When you work for the, on these high ends, now they're beautiful because to an extent, it's money, no object, you know, and, and you can create the most beautiful buildings that ever you've seen. But I'll tell you what, when you work for these top property developers, they are ruthless. They are utterly, utterly ruthless. When you meet them in our capacity, Ted, we're meeting them in nice, networking meetings in Mayfair and everyone's also nice and everyone's smartly dressed and everyone's talking about adding value and women's scenarios and that. And, but when you get on their job, if they've promised some Russian oligarch or some Saudi prince, you know, that that flat he's bought for 60 million, he can move into it on the 1st of May. I swear to you, that flat is going to be ready on the 1st of May. <laughs> Come what may, you know. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll stick with my own stuff. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting kind of way of looking at it. And I suppose for the kind of values that, you know, One Hyde Park and others are getting. Yeah. You kind of see why they're ruthless, you know, at that level. And at that, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, political kind of relationship as well, where it's like, yeah, it's more than sort of, yeah, the networking stuff we do. So, Dave, as we come to the end of the podcast, do you think there's anything else you want to add or any other bits of wisdom you want to share with the people or do you think we've covered as much as we could um i think we've just covered about everything give it a quick brief recap um if you've got no experience at all i would urge you to approach this in as professional manner as you can uh Obviously, you know you're not going to be as professional as the people do all the time, but but at least try, you know, because that's the way you'll make the most money. Protect yourself with a contract; it's crucial. It really is. Learn about the health and safety. I've never met a single person 
who wants to make a fortune in property, but is happy for people to get killed and injured while they're doing it, you know. If your primary motivation is not to protect the welfare of the people working for you, then really you have no place in this. Um, and have a go, you know. Don't don't be scared. Get in there. Get in there. And loads loads of people are doing it. It's not it's not rocket science. But then again, if you spoke to a rocket scientist who've been doing it for thirty seven years, he'd tell you it's easy, you know. So I've been, <laughs> but but I promise you, have, have a go at it, you know. And it'll be it'll be good. And it's interesting. It's lovely when you see a project that was an old wreck and you've created something beautiful out of it and you stand back and think yeah i did that it's it's good stuff it is it really is if anyone said if don't mind me saying if if anyone wants to learn about uh construction and things head over to my blog it's a blog i write uh it's designed for people new to the industry and it's all things about contracts project managing working with builders etc that i've picked up over the years yeah, definitely. I was just going to say, actually, I'll, I'll put a direct link in the show notes. People go click on it. I've read it. It is really good. Um, and it's out there for you to consume. You know, there's no excuse not to read it because, you know, you've, you've heard Dave's experience. You've heard what we've spoken about. You know, it's only going to add value to what you're doing from someone who does it and has done it for a very long time. So, Dave, thanks again so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. It's been a pleasure. Tej, thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.